One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome along to second captains at the Irish Times in the middle of what is a... A bit of a pain in the arse of a week, really. Yeah. yeah come oh, on. Come on. What? Why did you so down me? Right this year. And also nearly uh, incomprehensible with that voice of yours. Your poor voice on. Well, a couple of issues. What Sorry. happened to your voice? You're, you're cutting me off mid-flow. Okay, okay, okay. Well, it's the flow. What happened to my voice called, I believe it's called a throat infection, Ken. Oh. But like a true Irishman, I haven't gone to the doctors about it. I'll just ride what, this storm out. Just moan about it. What'll yeah, he, exactly. What will he tell me that I don't already know? You've about it for long enough until the point that you have to go and get some antibiotics for it. Yeah. Then, you know. No, I think you're handling it in the. No, listen, it's not a pain. I'm happy. I'm, in good, I'm trying to bring good goodwill here. Okay. I'm just saying that for many people listening, a bit of their head is somewhere between Christmas and New Year. But, you know, they're back in the normal routine now, and all anyone can really do is suck it up. Don't worry. We understand this fragile state of mind. No, I, I, actually, I actually found out on that yesterday is the biggest day of the year for people quitting their jobs. Really? I'd, you know who told me that? Someone who was going to quit their job yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, that person would know, I suppose. This is why we're steering clear today of the sort of jaded scepticism that can sometimes colour our reporting, Ken. No doping in sport. Okay. Not a mention of the failure of governing bodies to deal adequately with the dangers of concussion. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. What about the... the uh terrible uh, system we have in Ireland for training young football players. No, that's the not happening today. Of, the scourge of gambling in uh, modern professional sport. Today, uh, complete with gravelly voice, I'm sending out nothing but good vibes as we talk to two men who start the year in their dream jobs. You talk to people quitting their jobs, Murph. Okay. These people are in the jobs they've craved. Ushim Conville, manager of his beloved Cross McGlenn, and Bernard Jackman, who's recently been promoted to head coach of Grenoble in the top 14, a role he will take up next season. These are feel-good stories yeah, people taking their chances in life. It's kind of like uh, Eddie Murphy in Trading Places, Ken. Oh, yeah. Or Michael J. Fox in The Secret of My Success. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like Michael J. Fox? My, uh, that would be Ushin. Ushin. Well, I mean, in fairness. Ushin towers Ushin's over a, Michael J. Fox. Ushin must be at least five foot ten. But uh, Ushin was a, was a legend. I mean, one of the biggest uh, yeah, you know, well, footballers in the county. If you allow me to compare... I'm reading the IMDb description of The Secret of My Success, Ken. Yeah. Okay. A talented young man. Yeah. Can't get an executive position without rising through the ranks. Oh, this doesn't make sense, actually. <laughs> so he comes up with a shortcut, which also benefits his love life. <laughs> uh, have, have you ever seen that movie? No. 
Really? Simon told me to mention that. I asked him. Well, I, I have seen the movie and it's, it's, it's actually pretty good. Well, I mean, I thought it was good. I was probably about 13 when I saw it. Uh, and it fa- to me, back when you thought Family Ties was... It was a pretty realistic uh, representation of American corporate uh, life, as I thought at that time. It was, although I think the movie's from the, it's from the late 80s sometime, yeah. and it does seem like a different time looking back, because the, the thing is that he starts working in the mailroom. Do, do these corporations even have a mailroom anymore? 1987. He's, he's working in like the mailroom. Uh, I think he's some kind of a high flyer, you know, and he's supposed to... I've got a big job, but he ends up being busted down to the mailroom. Uh, and then, obviously, once he's in the mailroom, because he's got, like, this this American get-up-and-go, he's not just content to sort of do the mail. He also starts rifling through the mail and, and earwigging on what's going on, you know? Uh, and and spying be- on... And, and when he, he reads all these letters, and then he gets this... He gets an idea of what's really going on in the business, you see? Mm. And he gets all these big ideas about what could be done. But, of course, as a lowly mailroom... Clark, he's got no way of implementing his corporate vision. What's the shortcut then? What shortcut does he take? He pretends to be a, a dashing young executive. Basically, he buys a suit. He poses as an executive. He lies. He invents a character who pretends to be working for the company, uh, has all these brilliant ideas, and and becomes this sort of... Uh, he, he shoots across the, the night sky of corporate America, you know, like a, like a meteor. And uh, the romantic entanglement? He, is, is it a, a... Well, this is where it gets quite interesting. Lowly mailroom worker with a heart of gold? He's got a job, even as a mailroom clerk, because he actually had a bit of, a bit of pull, a bit of influence, mm. because it's, it's, some, it's not his dad. Maybe it's his uncle who runs the, the mailroom, or runs the, runs the corporation. Yeah. So he ends up having an affair with his aunt. What? Yeah. Uh, 1980s. Is man. that the love life they're talking about? The yeah, that's what happened. It's this, it's this kind of Oedipal drama goes on. I don't know if they actually consummate the affair, mm. but she definitely tries to. Yeah. You know, okay. He, we're, we're, we're on the back, same page. They end up back in the back, and, and I think it's only he sees a photograph of, of her with his uncle or something, and it's kind of, oh. Wow. Are you like my aunt or something? For a Michael J. Fox mid nineteen eighties movie, this seems to be a very layered, yeah, l- yeah. very layered tale. He ends up uh, with a woman who isn't his aunt, and I think probably makes a lot of money. Lowly mailroom worker with a heart of gold. Hopefully, the movie. Oh, we've probably talked too much about this movie. Is, we, what are the parallels between this movie and Ashim McConville again? Uh, they're working their dream job. He's he's oh, yeah. you know he's, yeah, that was it. Starts at the bottom with the <laughs> most successful club team of all time that he's played for for twenty years. But so it's it's a you know there is there are hints there of the Ocean McConville story. There also maybe there is a word of warning though, Murph, to be um, expressed. To well, yeah, there's another man very much in the news at the moment uh, who also got his dream job about let's say eight or nine months ago, uh, and you know is David Moyes' dream job working out absolutely as planned. Will he have a Michael J. Fox-style Hollywood happy ending over the next three or four months? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I mean, for every happy ending, I suppose, there's got to be a sad ending. Hasn't there? Is it ending for David Moyes? I did see a headline uh, in the Independent of the UK today. To one of the, I was an article written by Sam Wallace. Trouble times at Old Trafford. What went wrong for David Moyes at Manchester United? 
as in <laughs> it was almost a past tense. <laughs> now there, I should put that in context. He, he goes back. It's a good piece actually. Goes back and looks at the issues during the summer and the transfer window. What really went wrong there? But there is just a hint now that people are what starting is to going wrong. It wouldn't for be. David Moyes it wouldn't be amazing to. It wouldn't be massively surprising in a couple of weeks' time to see headlines like that and them actually being fully indicative of uh, a past tense. No, I, w- I was impressed by one uh, paragraph that I saw in the Daily Mail, who, who said, they wrote, This season at Old Trafford, Moyes has overseen United's first defeat by Newcastle since 1972, first defeat by West Brom, West Brom Shabby since 1978, the first defeat by Everton since 1992, and their first home loss to Swansea in 82 years, and Moyes has ended a total of 179 years of utter domination <laughs> on their own turf over four top five clubs. <laughs> <In> fairness, <laughs> that's a bit. <laughs> that is reaching a little bit. It's just four random numbers that they've decided to add up there. 179 years of utter domination. Anyway, you're was, making was a liar out of me. charge for that, Logger? <laughs> You're making a lie out of me, lads. Save your jaded cynicism for second captain's football later today. We're talking good vibes here. Bernard Jackman, just to give you a bit of background on this, a couple of years ago arrived over in Grenoble, who were in the second tier of French rugby at the time, but he uh, well, he came in a cons- on a consultancy basis to look at their defence and look at areas like that uh, for just for a couple of months, as far as I know. Subsequently got promoted, got a full-time gig, and has moved up the ranks to the point now that he becomes the head coach. And the funny point, about uh, the probably the, the best part of this story, is that Oftentimes, these promotions can happen within a sports team when things have gone wrong and they're mm. looking for some new blood, whatever the case might be. It's different in this case. They got promoted. They've done brilliantly. They just beat Toulon away from home at the weekend. First uh, defeat for Toulon at home in over a year, I believe. Uh, and Ber- So Bernard Jackman is entering this, uh, clearly by dint of the brilliant work that he's doing there, which has contributed to the success that's already happening. So it's a really good story. We'll talk to him a little bit later on. And Ushi McConville as well is chatting about this cross-job Murph. I should mention that we want to talk to him. The original reason we wanted to bring him in was to discuss the first weekend of the new black card rule. Yeah. Which seems to have gone okay. So far, so good. Yeah, and uh, interesting, I think, to, just to hear the, the manager's reaction. There's sort of a resignation on the part of the intercounty managers that, well, there's not a lot they can do. The rule is in, so let's just try and make the best of it. And I think already you can see in the games, even that were played this week, um, that there has been a change in mentality uh, from the coaching point of view, that these rules are there, the uh, the punishment is punitive, and where the best thing to do from a team's pr- uh, perspective in the past was to cynically foul someone, now the right thing to do from the team's point of view is to not cynically foul. So that's what the GA were looking for. Obviously, will the litmus test comes a lot further down the road, but I think it's been a pretty good start. Well, why not welcome the man himself into the studio and wish a happy new year to the new Cross McGlenn joint manager, Ushin McConville. Ushin, how are you? Uh, good, on. Glad uh, to be back after New Year. Um, raring to go. Raring to go yeah. uh, as the Cross McGlenn manager, joint manager, I should say. Uh, how is that for you so far? How has it been so far? It's been brilliant because we've only met them once. <laughs> uh, and the boys are in Florida at the minute for 10 days. Right. So we told them to get whatever out of their system that they had to get out of their system and we're going to start the first week in February and take it from there slowly uh, take it from there because uh, it's too early in the year we won't be playing championship football till August so um, plenty, just, yeah, plenty of club footballers out there listening saying well why the hell am I back uh, because there, is, there are plenty of clubs around the country I'm not going to say more are than aren't but plenty of club teams are actually back already training hard in the first week of January in the first week of January you know, why is that do you think well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, there's, there's probably plenty of reasons, but one of them could be managers who 
are getting their 80 euro a week for training, uh, thinking, well, why not start earning as quickly as we can? <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, I'd imagine that'd be a big part of it. And there's a lot, a lot of them on a lot more than 80 euro a week. Yeah. Uh, I presume not as you McConnell <laughs> Cross McGlenn though No We get paid in uh, Bad manners And ridicule uh, <laughs> This is uh, A big job for you though. This No must it be, is It's it massive, must be an honour for you It is It's a massive job And uh, As soon as Joe stepped aside You know Myself and John We said we'd work together Someday So we'd uh, We took the bull By the horns And decided This was our time And I suppose It's a good time In one way to be taken over Because We should be hungry After last year What went on last year And you know, we weren't really successful. And we won a county title, but you know, after that, uh, we left uh, we left the Ulster Challenger behind us a little bit. I know we had a few injuries and different things got there, but I suppose the thing for us is to get, try and guard against that next year is to bring a lot of the young players on that uh, we have in the club and not just concentrate on the 20 or 22 that have been there and have done it over this past number of years, but to try and bring on five or six. And if we can do that, then we'd be... It's funny you use the phrase what went on last year. What went on, as you said, was a county title and uh, would have been considered a successful year for some clubs. But clearly the standards are different across McGlenn. Is there always that fear that this, the 17, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds coming into the setup, if they start getting into a culture that accepts losing in Ulster, if that happens for a couple of years, then they're the guys who ultimately will be starting to drive it and it, it can start to fall apart pretty easily if you've a couple, if you've a couple of lean years. That's exactly it. And one of the things you know we said um, to the boys the last day was that we totally accept that there was injuries last year and uh, we weren't uh, playing with a full uh, deck first and foremost. But uh, you're so right. I mean, we still could have won that game against Kilku and also Championship. So um, for us to clap everybody back and say, you know, listen, we had an OK year. It was only the injuries that really cost us would be the wrong way for us to start off. We were disappointed with the way it went last year. As the competition has gone on and I watched Ballandary win the Ulster Championship, the disappointment has increased. It hasn't gone away. It has increased. And the frustration has incre- increased that we're not in an All-Ireland semi-final. And that's the base of where we're going to start. And uh, It doesn't really matter now. I know what went on last year, but... Uh, there's lessons to be learned from last year and and if we can take a lot of those lessons into this year and try as I say, try and improve five or six players, then you know, we as I say we won't be that far away. Is this something you've been looking at for a while, management? Uh this is something I've been looking at for a while. Yeah, well it's something that I would have considered when I, when I, when I when I was playing, I had absolutely no interest in it. Um, I took it, I've dabbled a little bit with uh, the college team in Dundalk, and I'm, I've, I'm still there, and, and probably will continue to be there. But it's probably slightly different, you know, when you're working with club players, especially when you're working with your own club. Uh, the first thing you'll do is probably fall out with half the town and stuff like <laughs> that there. But uh, you've got to make some hard calls, and there will be some hard calls that have to be made. But they'll be made for the right reasons, and and it has been on the radar, I suppose, this past uh, couple of years. I was very frustrated not being involved in some way from last February. You know, I found it. Uh, I enjoyed watching the boys most of the time, but you know, it was frustrating at times too, and especially when. Things weren't going that great for us in the last couple of games. I found it very frustrating to be sitting, to be standing there, you know, completely detached from the whole thing. And that's exactly, you know, essentially what I was was totally detached from it. But did you did you feel detached as a ex player or as a perhaps future manager? 
probably a bit of both. If you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. probably a bit of both. It's just that when you spend so much time involved in the one setup, I mean, I was there for 20 years, it's very, very difficult, you know, to to completely get away from that. Still very, very uh, close with a lot of the boys and, and you know, would have been in constant contact. Found myself to begin with really enjoying the fact that they were training and I wasn't. Uh, and then all of a sudden I wanted to know exactly what was going on. Found myself... Uh, Stand and watching a couple of training sessions, which I never would, <laughs> which I never would have seen myself doing. In fact, some of the boys would say, were saying to me, "You know, have you absolutely nothing to do with your yeah, life yeah. that you're standing here at training sessions?" But the interest is there, the passion is there. Um, I was offered a, a number of other jobs over <coughs> over the last couple of months, but in fairness, unless there's a passion and drive there for me, I, I wouldn't do those. And, and to be honest, I wasn't. And as I said before, it's, it's crossed my Lenorama for me. And, you know, that may be to me detriment in the, in the long run, but that's the way I feel about it. Are those clubs, well, are they club sides outside Armagh? Would yeah. That be it? Yeah. The, you say, is Armagh ultimately the aim? Would you love to manage the county? Too far ahead? Uh, no, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. I think, you know, as I say, myself and John... Hopefully we'll have a decent working relationship. We we uh, we sort of John has a lot of strengths and, and probably a little bit more experience at management than I have. He's managed club team in Armagh as well to win an intermediate title, so um, probably has that little bit more experience. But I think we both have have a lot of ideas, and if we implement half of those ideas, then we, as I say, we'd be okay. Is there a demarcation? Is there a who's the Roy Keane? Who's the Martin O'Neill here? Uh, I think, to be honest, <clears throat> I think we've already had that in the club uh, with Tony Mack and, and Gareth. Uh, they were they were bad cop and bad bad cop. Um, <laughs> I think between myself and John, uh, we not make any ultimatums. We not make any demands on players too early. We'll see how it goes. And in an ideal world, alone, hopefully, you know, we'll all still be friends at the end of it. But mm. I can't see it. Well, I mean, you've, you've already said. <laughs> You only want to fall out with half a town, which I thought was very, yeah, keep very half, optimistic. You keep half a town on side, I think you're doing <laughs> dude, pretty well. And dude, extremely managing. well. Talk to us about one of the challenges you're going to face, as will every other manager in club and county football around the country, and that's the black card. We saw the beginnings of it over the weekend. It's it's an early part of the year, and most people aren't actually seeing this football, but they will be reading about it. Uh, only 18 of them in 20 pre-season games, which is, which is probably good. I don't think anyone wants to see five yeah. or six lads from each team yeah. having to walk and not be able to play in the rest of the game. But is is this is there a different way now of coaching how to play Gaelic football given this new rule? Well, there is because, like, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that would have been on down through the years, I suppose some of the stuff that, I suppose, to, to be honest, we may, might have implemented in in the early part of 2000 was that one of the key issues was, uh, talk to Moff about it, was when the person, when whoever it is, maybe a, more than likely a half-back's coming through, he fists the ball over the bar and he looks for the return. Well, you're always taught, we were always taught to stop his run. And you can't stop that run anymore because if you stop that run, then you're going to pick up a black card. Um, in theory, Ona absolutely loved the idea. When I heard it, I thought, yeah, that's going to stamp out uh, cynical play and all that sort of thing. And I think when you sit down and you read read through, you know, the rules, whether it be in a newspaper or your iPad or whatever, it is very, very good. You know, I think they've put a lot of thought into it. It's just, you know, when you see the rules being applied, I mean, 
I know there has been very few instances. I think there's only 13 out of 20 games yesterday. But uh, I watched, I just happened to watch uh, some of the Donegal Tyrone game and I watched a couple of the incidents. And to me, both incidents, uh, one of the incidents uh, was Neil Morgan pulled back Michael Murphy when he was through on goal. And for me, that's essentially why the black card was supposed to be there. He didn't get sent off, he saved the penalty. That decision was wrong for me. The second one was when Rory Cavanaugh was supposed to allegedly have stopped that run, but it was a case of uh, the wing half back for Tyrone, I think it was Tierney McCann, he gave the ball and he went to go, but he made sure that he made contact with, with Rory Cavanaugh, mm. and as a result of that, Rory Cavanaugh got a black card. There's going to be instances of that. It's still at the discretion of the referee. I think, you know, I was very, very much for this whenever I heard it coming in. The implementation, in practice, it's yeah, it worries me. It's, and then as we go down through, like we'll see some of the top referees in the country implementing it this year, and they'll probably do okay. I mean, there's going to be mistakes, but that's fine. I think people can accept that. But as you as that goes down through through into club football and and all the stuff like that, it's 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 going to be a major problem. I think. Do you think that the that the the referees now have? They have the right framework to referee the game properly and now it falls on the referees and I suppose the GA to actually train up the referees to use the, the law book. Now, the, the law book does have power now, so it's up to the GA and the referees to up their game to make sure that, that the referees are able to actually implement this. Yeah, definitely, and, and it always, always will fall back on that individual who's refereeing a game. And and at inter-county level, it's probably not so bad enough because you've got... Uh, Hopefully you've got uh, two linesmen who are probably hopefully going to come into play a lot more with this. You've got uh, four umpires which are going to come into play. I'm worried about whenever you go to a league match in Armagh, Galway, Dublin, doesn't really matter. Generally speaking, a referee turns up, he's on his own. Mm. He has to control that whole situation. And I think that's where the grey area is. That's where you know we're going to fall into problems. As far as the inter-county scene, there is, as I say, there is going to be times where we're going to of course we're going to disagree with what the referee, but he's he's making a, a genuine call with the help of those people who are around him. When some of these rules have come in in the past, the sin bin and others, do you think that because those were experimental and generally they were trialled in the league, that realistically players thought, this isn't, this isn't going to happen anyway, so I don't actually have to adapt to this. The managers will give out about it, as, as often was the case. Uh, some people in the media might give out about it as well, and it'll just get dropped. Whereas this is a rule, this is there now, and it's, it's a different way of approaching it. Yeah, funny, that was one of the first things uh, I got in contact with somebody in Crow Park uh, yesterday morning, because I, I was just wondering that, you know, if this was a complete nightmare, could we get rid of it after the league? But, you know, it's here to stay. You know, we, we have it. Um, I think one of the things is that uh, another worry, I suppose, is that you know the intensity of the Auburn Cup, McKenna Cup, McKenna Cup. No disrespect, it's a, you know players are getting to grips with you know the new season. I suppose I know I did, wouldn't have particularly wanted to go out and play on Sunday with the conditions and different things like that there. So you know when the intensity is going to ramp up, and you know, the league's another uh, another step up for players. Um, there's a little bit more in the lane. But when it comes challenge-upon, yeah. I mean, everything's on the line. You can't really think about what the consequences of a tackle are going to be. No, because I know I, I, exactly, and I know that a lot of uh, a lot of teams are training from October now. Mm. You know, which seems to me, you know, from inter-county point of view, is crazy. I know there was a 
uh, there was actually fixtures in uh, from, from our point of view. For, uh, the Ophi Cup was played in December. Uh, they're now into the McKenna Cup in January, straight into the league, almost straight into the championship. And like you know, these players aren't going to be. I don't think players going into the going into the championship this year are going to be fresh. But look at to go back to the to go back to the black card thing. Mm-hmm. As the intensity of these, as think there's more in the lane. I think we're going to have more instances of that. And and you know, you said you know you're probably you're you're right. Eighteen in pre-season games isn't really that bad, but. Is there anything really raiding on a, on a yeah. pre-season If you've game? got a spate of cynical fouling in the O'Byrne Cup or the FBD League, you know the game's in big yeah. trouble. <laughs> You'd yeah. be really worried, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one central issue to this, though, seems to be that, OK, now, it, and it should become clearer through the O'Byrne Cups and FBD Leagues and all these competitions, what constitutes a black card yeah. and what you're not supposed to do. I'm still not sure, and I know they did tweak the tackle rule, as far as I remember, within that those... Uh, those Congress changes, those rule changes, but it still doesn't seem 100% clear to me what it is you are supposed to do. I know Kieran McGinney's had some public issue with this over the last few years that he tries to coach a certain interpretation of the tackle, but it'll be refereed differently by different refs. Is, is that a problem that you do know how not to pick up a black card, but you don't necessarily know 100% uh, what, what a legitimate tackle is? Yeah, and the tackle has been a major problem in GA for, for the last 10 years, and it's been diluted and diluted and diluted, and to be honest, unless you actually, with your near hand, pop the ball out of the out of the opponent's uh, out of the opponent's hands, and you're connect, you're hitting you're hitting down on the ball. Generally speaking, it's going to be a free kick nowadays. And I tell you the truth, you know, you see more and more defenders who just actually try and stand the forward up, and maybe you know try and get some sort of hands on them. But you know, the actual trying to get that last ditch tackle in. I mean, essentially that's going to be gone. The other thing is that it's so competitive out there now, you know, um, there's so many players on squads. And let's say you're in the Dublin squad and you're playing cornerback. <clears throat> You've been given an opportunity. You mightn't, be, <clears throat> you mightn't get that many opportunities, but you're given an opportunity to play a cornerback. Are you going to make that last-ditch tackle? So it, gives you, it means that you have no opportunity over the next 70 minutes or whatever it is to make an impression, mm. you know? The other side of that, of course, is you want to get a fo- let a corner forward walsh around you and mm-hmm. stick the ball in the net or something like that. But I think, you know, the instances now is uh, a cornerback has one opportunity to win the ball. It's it's to get out in front of his corner forward as the ball comes in, try and get a hand in something like that. But uh, apart from that... The man in possession has all of possession, the advantages. The man then, in yeah. possession dictates ex- everything that's happening from that point. Oshin, great to have you here. I'm surprised you didn't manage to get on that trip find a way to justify being over in Florida well, I, was no? asked, I was asked to go but uh, I thought I better let them add it themselves yeah, yeah exactly Yeah, you don't need too many disciplinary problems before you've actually <laughs> had your first trading session no, so probably best well she best of luck with that and thanks very much for coming in thanks very much Shane Kern with the kick out the 42 year old goalkeeper Turned it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one with the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad. I think something you touched on there, Marcus, it is. The way the GA have gone about this is quite clever. They put a really smart football person like Eugene McGee in charge of a review committee. They 
then give that committee a remit to do a serious amount of research and put the results straight to Congress. Yeah. So they cut out this middleman of an experimental phase in the league in which which leads, as we've discussed there, leads to managers having to adapt to it rather than managers trying to almost harangue the rule out of existence. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what's happened every time any sort of a rule, as you mentioned there, the same bin, other experimental rules have been brought in. Managers just kick up such a fuss about it that they don't invest in it. As a result, obviously, their, own, their players don't invest in it. All supporters here are people giving out about these rules. And not and just like, managers, yeah. yeah. It, 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 we should say that players and supporters sometimes come down hard against the rule without giving it really a, enough time to... You can't decide on a rule over a few weeks of a league yeah, season. Yeah, it's just, it's just yeah. tinkering, you know. It's just, it's yeah. just change for the sake of change. Like, the GA, anytime the rules change, it's literally like uh, we're going back into the past resurrecting the ghost of Michael Cusack and whacking him across the face with a hurley. That's basically how GA fans react to <laughs> rule changes, which is utterly ridiculous because you see it in so many other sports. Like in rugby, there are rules that are uh, not really enforced. And then there's decide over the course of a summer, right, we're going to enforce this rule and referees do it and people adapt to it. And that's it. You don't see you rugby know. sporters going back in time and smacking William Webb Hellis over the head with a rugby no, ball, do you? absolutely not. Like just... Uh, like rooting a ball into his face, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, obviously. Of course, yeah, it would be and, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, in American football, things change all the time. The the governing body has a look at the game, see something that can that will improve the game. They change it; it just happens. Whereas in the GA, like change is just you know, we we fear change, we fear change. I mean, I don't know why we have to. Be like that, though. We'll watch this uh, rule through the rest of the year anyway, but coming up at six o'clock tonight, Ken. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about David Moyes and the issues that he has with Alex Ferguson there supporting him so visibly at every match and uh, and see if really that is going to be a problem because it is such an unusual situation with Moyes. The fact that he has to deal at all with his predecessor in any way. Um, usually a new manager can just, you know, use the predecessor as a way to blame problems. You know, someone, well, obviously the last guy left things in a mess, you know, and I'm trying to clean that up here, and it's difficult. I mean, Giovanni Trapattoni being a prime example of somebody who was judged for a long time quite, quite in a quite a kind light. Given yeah. what his predecessor had done. Exactly, and that's the way. I mean, most managers take over a team because the previous manager got sacked because everything had gone wrong. Uh, so that's what makes Moyes' situation so unusual. And um, we're, we're going to talk a bit about that, and we'll talk also about Robert Lewandowski, uh, who has finally done what everybody expected him to do for a long time now and signed a contract to join Bayern Munich in the summer and look at whether Dortmund in their standing up to player power may actually have uh, cost uh, them many millions of euro you know the phrase that actually came to my mind slipped on a banana skin <laughs> that's actually what came I, I slipped on a banana skin came to my mind I thought no that won't do and nothing came. Oh, well, that's, that's so what I'm here for. It has to do. That's what I'm here for, Ken. Don't if worry. If Alex Ferguson took over the Manchester United job tomorrow, Ken, yeah. would they win the league? <laughs> <laughs> would they win the league? No. 
<laughs> no, no, I think awesome. I think Alex Ferguson is. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of him taking over this season. Mm. Um, you know, the race is not always to the swift, nor yet battle to the strong. But that is the way to bet. And this season, Manchester United have not been among the swiftest or the strongest. Mm. And Ferguson would want to have a seriously delusional belief in his own magical powers if he was to think that he could come in. Why not? He's uh, often gone on runs of 10 wins in 12 games. That would have him right up in the top four. It's a bit like Skulls. I mean, Skulls did the same thing, didn't he? What? Sat out for six months, looked at what was going on and thought, this is rubbish. I could do a lot better than that. I'm nearly 50, but I'm pretty confident that I can get out there. <laughs> if I could just get out of this McDonald's and all them. <laughs> I can get out there and play those lads off the park. I mean, that's what you know, Skulls did that. He came back by surprise against Manchester City. They beat Man City 3-2. And went on a mad run, which ultimately culminated in them losing the titles of Manchester City. Um, but it was a closer thing. So I don't, I don't know. I, no, I don't think I don't think Ferguson is going to come back because it would, it would just be too embarrassing. I'd say he, part of him would quite like to still be there, but you know the way the way things are, he's he's uh, he's made it clear he's not going to come back. So I would say for this season at least. There's no chance. Bernard Jackman, soon to become head coach of Grenoble in the French Top 14, joins us now, Bernard. And first of all, a great start to the year for you guys. You beat Toulon away from home, which is their first loss at home for a year. That's a pretty good start. Yeah, really good. Um, we had a, a good Christmas. We beat Cast, who are the French champions uh, at home uh, on the 29th. And then we backed it up with a with a massively important uh, away win at, at Toulon and I, I don't know the history books of Grenoble that well but I'm told it's the biggest win they've had since 1944 so um, that's uh, it's something to um, enjoy I suppose and um, we're heading to two weeks of the Amna Cup now which is for us it's 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 an opportunity to play some of the younger players so um, we can we can kick back a little bit and uh, and look forward to the rest of the top 14 season after after the last two games in the Amna I should congratulate you personally straight away Bernard because you we speak to you as Defence Collisions coach Coach, but are you already thinking towards your new role? You're going to be the head coach of Grenoble next season. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and um, it's something that uh, obviously uh, I had ambitions on on becoming at, at some stage, and it's happened pretty quickly. But yeah, it's nice to have a lead in time as well. You know, I have six months. I found out, you know, last month that uh, I had been promoted, and um, you know, while I'm concentrating on the, on the day-to-day role, I have. You know, it's definitely one eye on on what I want to change next year and and seeing little areas we can maybe improve on and uh, and you know if if we can keep keep going the way we are we'll we'll be in a Heineken Cup um, and uh, that'll be that'll be an unbelievably exciting challenge uh, for my first year as a head coach to be competing in in a competition like the top fourteen and and obviously the Heineken Cup which is obviously close to my heart. Yeah, you said it happened quickly, Bernard. It's a remarkable achievement. When did you first go over to Grenoble? Um, Two years ago, when we were in Pro D two, uh, they offered me an eight week uh, contract to be, in a consul- be a consultant. They didn't have the budget for a full time defense coach. Uh, they just lost in the Pro D two semi final. Uh, they lost at home to to Bordeaux, and it was a massive blow to the club because we finished second. And we finished, I think, fourteen points clear of Bordeaux in, in the Pro D two that year. So Fabrice Landreau, who's my who's the director of Sport D here, which is the director of rugby, he was looking for a way to to try and improve uh, the squad without spending too much money and uh, I was mad keen to get a gig in France and um, so I interviewed for Skype on Skype a couple of times with him um, convinced him that I could put a good defensive system in place or improve the system that was in place over initial eight weeks uh, period of pre-season and, and the start of of their Pro D2 season 
he was delighted with what happened, uh, what I put in in place, and um, he brought me back and forth during the year. And you know, I did some video analysis from 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 Ireland, and uh, with the understanding was that if we went, if we were promoted from Pro D two, he'd bring me full time. And um, thankfully, we won Pro D two uh, quite convincingly. I think we won by sixteen points in the end. And then I moved over. Uh, last year was my fu- first full time season here, and. I was just doing defence this year. I'm, I'm looking after defence collisions and the breakdown. And um, yeah, obviously next year there's an opportunity to to get involved in the attack and the defence. So um, it's moved really quickly, but the club has been very good to me. I, I really enjoy working with the players we have, and I get on well with the uh, the other members of staff as well. It's a, it's a, it's a club that there's no airs and graces, and we realise that we got to battle for everything. And um, yeah, everybody we're creating a high performance culture here. Uh, and everyone's enjoying the journey we're on, and it's 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 exciting. And we're, we're hoping to be more ambitious next year. We're hoping to spend three million more on players. Uh, there's plans to to convert our stadium into an eighteen thousand all seater stadium. So the city are really behind the club. Um, and in France, that's very important in France because it's a league that money um, money is important. Um, it's not as important as as the as the culture you have, but uh, it's important that the backing is there to try and you know push on and become a become a top six top four side a side that's capable of winning a Brennan's at some stage Bernard I know you'd been looking at this even while you were playing and you coached uh, clubs in Ireland and yeah. St Michael's School uh, Clontarf would probably be the job you're best known for a relegation and a promotion on your uh, on your CV with them what gave you the belief that you could go to France to Grenoble albeit you know they were maybe a second tier side at the time yeah. but uh, that you could actually go and so quickly move up the ranks there yeah, I, I think that I've improved every club I've been with. Uh, I started coaching when I was 23. Uh, it's something I absolutely love. You know, I see it as a science and an art, to be honest. And I, I enjoyed every every session I've ever taken. And, uh, you know, Clontarf, we, we got relegated, but it was we had to change that team. That was an old side, you know, and uh, the, the league split. So I went from, um, from being 14 teams to seven. Uh, sorry, from 16 teams to eight, um, and you know we came back the following year, one one B. We're a couple of minutes from being an AIL uh, an AIL final. You know, I I felt that if if that I, we achieved something in Tariff, we put together an under twenty side. Michaels who won the cup, uh, Newbridge Kilmine, Tullo all got promoted under me. Uh, so I, I never lost uh, belief in myself, and you know, and I, I backed myself to. To, to get better um, week by week and you know I felt that if I came to France given the environment I'm coming from in Leinster and Ireland uh, particularly um, given the experiences I had you know f- even though I was only 34 you know I'd been coaching since I was 23 I, I felt that I could add value here and um, you know thankfully the players have bought into into the system um, that I that I like, you know, for for defence and obviously now, you know, in terms of collisions and in terms of the breakdown and um, you know it's been really really positive and you know I, I've a lot of lear- I've a lot to learn yes and you know I, I'm very ambitious to to learn more you know I, I'm going to travel again um, this summer and go go down to Southern Hemisphere and 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 study some some other coaches and you know I've been very lucky in, in Grenoble they've given me time off you know to to spend a couple of days with Japan last year with Eddie Jones in the summer in May I went down and spent a week with the Queensland Reds and and the uh, the Stormers so you know the club are very helpful in terms of helping me uh, progress you know in terms of my ability to to create a good environment to create a good playing program and um, you know that's I enjoy that I enjoy that the fact that the club are are willing to help with my development as well 
you mentioned your your travel there and the, the fact that you do go to the Southern Hemisphere and see how they do things down there and go to other rugby cultures. Where do you think Ireland stands uh, as a rugby culture, in your opinion, having having sampled so many of those different cultures? Yeah, I think Ireland's brilliant. I, I think that we don't give ourselves enough credit um, in terms of how how much we do right. And, uh, you know, I w- I'd have no problem going back to, to Leinster and seeing what they're doing now or, or Ulster or, you know, or Connacht or Munster. I, I think that the Irish rugby programmes are, are highly professional on and off the field. Everything from S&C to medic, medical staff to video analysis, uh, it's top, top class. compares, you know, I think it compares very, very favourably with what I've seen in, in Super Rugby uh, and are, are probably on the same same level or, or, or better than, than the Viva Premiership. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very lucky I've come from a good environment. Irish players are very lucky to work in a in a in good environment day to day. And, um, you know, I, sometimes you go away, you don't necessarily go away to find stuff out, to find new things out. Sometimes it's just a case of uh, confirming what you already know um, and uh, something that you might be thinking is, is, is a possibility and maybe getting to speak to other coaches. I suppose as a young coach, you know, I, I'm, I really enjoy watching other coaches coach uh, and picking up not so much technical or tactical things as mainly, uh, you know, body language and uh, the way they communicate. That's, that's the thing I find very interesting because uh, pretty much, you know, with video analysis, very, very things stay new for, for long. So if the All Blacks do something, you know, this weekend, yeah. you know, uh, Toulouse will be trying it in, in two or three weeks' time. But the key, I think, to coaching is is your ability to deliver a message and um, I suppose also your emotional intelligence in terms of how the group are feeling and, you know, what kind of message to deliver to, to hit the right buttons. And that's that's something that I think you can learn from, from watching other coaches close up. Um, and that's something that I've probably found, you know, more beneficial or, or found that I've learned more from traveling than, any technical or tactical stuff, uh, because you know a lot of that stuff is common is common enough knowledge. And as I said, with with, with video analysis, you, you can pick up pretty quickly what other teams are trying to do. Well, Mike Prendergast, the former Munster scrum half, is going to be your assistant. So clearly, the the head honchos there at Grenoble think quite highly of you guys, think very highly of you guys. And, and there must be something about the um, Irish mentality that that they're buying into there. It's something we've talked to Ron O'Gara about a little bit at Racing Metro, the differences between how an Irish professional rugby player approaches things to a French player. Have there been many, um, many, many cultural differences in that sense for you to try to get your head around? Yeah, for sure. I mean... Um they like they slag us off, uh, uh, slag me off, whatever, for being kind of Anglo-Saxonized, quite process-driven, you know, and uh, quite technical, breaking everything down, uh, building up for a match on a Saturday on a Monday, uh, and starting to put things in place Monday, Tuesday, you know, third Wednesdays are day off, Thursday, Friday, and then be ready. Where you get them, you get slagged off for that? Ah, they do. If if. That sounds like coaching, Bernard. That sounds like what you're <laughs> no, I know, but we're in France. Um, no, but like that's they, they see that as being my boss really likes that. So uh, because he's he's quite different than a lot of other French coaches in that he played most of his career for Stade Francais under uh, Nick Mallet, uh, Ewan McKenzie, John Connolly. Um, so he came from. He's been used to having. Anglo-Saxon coaches, as he calls them. Uh, he also played for a season in, in Neath and a season in Bristol. So he really likes that detail and that, that structure, whereas a lot of other French coaches, um, they tend to be very emotionally based and, and create a very pressurised environment. Um, and it's all about... A lot of them believe it's all about how kind of... Uh, 
up first the team are um, on, a, on a Saturday whereas obviously the background we're coming from obviously motivation is, is very important um, but you know we like to tick the boxes and we like to prepare consistently I think uh, and we like to have a plan um, and that's so, that, well, so that's, that's the real cultural difference and in fairness Grenoble Grenoble isn't like every other club um, from that point of view uh, in that you know my, as I said my boss for East Joe he, he really buys into the idea of, of preparing properly and uh, you know building it day by day uh, and week by week and, and, and from that you'll get results over, over a long term basis whereas um, a lot of other clubs uh, it's, it's really about but even in terms of the, the environment, they try and sign the best players and then without massively focusing on the plan, uh, trying to create an environment where it's very pressurised, very hostile and, and hopefully that it'll all come together on a Saturday. So that's the big cultural difference, to be honest, um, that yeah. I found. And as I said, I only know Grenoble, but um, you know, speaking to a lot of our player, French players, particularly and, and some of the foreign players who come from other clubs, you know, their experience in France is that that's what we do differently here. Bernard, you mentioned the, the how quickly things change in rugby. It can almost be a week to week sort of a process. I know our the more rugby nerd um, listeners uh, amongst uh, amongst our uh, listenership group would want to know what kind of trends. Is there any trend in particular at the moment that you've picked up on? It maybe particularly is happening in France that looks quite important to you. Um, the two trends I would say that are probably most worrying. Uh, well, not most worrying. The most worrying one is that. You're better off not having the ball. Um, so the team that kicks the ball and and has least amount of possession uh, is are starting to win a lot more games, and uh, that's obviously worrying for for the game. Uh, it's important to me as a defence coach to know that um, and to make sure our, our kicking strategy is is uh, perfectly put in place and it's well executed. Um, but you know, in terms of spectacle to watch, that's not obviously you know good long term. Uh, the other interesting thing for me is. That from the November test, uh, the All Blacks are forwards are, are uh, the All Blacks ratio of forwards passing to backs is three to one. So, um, whereas whereas in, uh, in the next best team is Australia, uh, and they're about they're about eight percent. So the All Blacks are way ahead in terms of their forwards' ability to pass the ball. So in in layman's terms, most forward, most teams when their forwards get the ball, they don't pass it; they they carry. Uh, whereas the All Blacks um, are passing the ball three times as uh, as often as as everyone else mm. uh, in terms of their forwards, and that's why they're so hard to play against. And that's why um, you know they they're they're obviously on an incredible run at the moment. But most other teams, if if you're defending against the South Africa or an Ireland or an England, you know, when a forward gets the ball, you can pretty much be confident you can jam in on him. Uh, whereas with the All Blacks, everybody's a, a, a ball player. Um, and that's the trend. And obviously, so that's the most interesting stuff for me in terms of whether other teams are going to try and create uh, ball playing forwards and, and, and start to be more dangerous with ball in hand, or is it going to become, you know, stick it under a jumper and try and win a collision by being bigger than the opposition? And, and obviously, the South Africans have that naturally, but, you know, for teams who don't have the budget to buy massively powerful players, um, they've got to think, be a little bit more creative in how they play. Bernard, listen, we'll let you go. I do just want to ask you, though, long term, do you look at the, the Irish provinces maybe or will you look at the Irish provinces and the Irish national team? Is that the dream? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to get back to Ireland uh, at some stage. Um, that's my goal. When I left Ireland, you know, I was looking to build a CV and obviously have a, have a very good experience in France. Uh, 
as I said, Grenoble and France have been very good to me and my family. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of things. I want to win a Brennus, you know, that's my goal. So um, and I, wherever I go, I want to be in a position to win something. Um, and I, I know that I have a lot of work to do to be good enough to get a job in Ireland. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey I'm looking forward to, to uh, undertaking. Now, congrats again on getting the, the head coach's job for next season. Listen, Bertrand, enjoy the rest of this season. Thanks for talking to us. Bye-bye. I do find that really interesting, the, the way... French rugby people, coaches, um, or many coaches certainly, and players approach things compared to those from elsewhere. I would have thought France made such a big rule. This idea of it all being about emotion, and you can probably that's borne out by the results. That's why it was so huge that Toulon were beaten by Grenoble, Toulon mm. playing at home, because you, they, they rarely lose, the big clubs rarely lose home matches because that's when they're fully fired up. We, I'd say we got our best insight into this. Or certainly, I would have got one of my first insights into this kind of mindset with the. You remember the Trevor Brennan diary in the Irish Times yeah. um, with uh, Jerry Thornley, which was superb. Yeah, it was just really. But they'd, they'd, they'd be after winning a home match against whoever might. Perpignan, one of the big ones at the time. They'd then arrive over in Glasgow or somewhere, bit of a rainy day. They'd look around, they wouldn't like the, the look of it. It's funny how much seems to be based on emotion and how. Bernard Chapman gets slagged off in his club for preparing for a match from the start of the week. <laughs> wearing all that these is, meticulous plans and yeah. tactics. and how As you said yourself, that systems. does appear to be largely what coaching is about. But, um, hey, listen, you know, Bernard's obviously got a head start on all the other coaches in France by, you know, coaching, coaching. for seven days a week as opposed to like two days a week. So, uh, you know, roll on, Bernard, roll on. Second Captain's Football coming up a little bit later on today. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, the, the theme. I hope we have brought some... Some light into the early January. There's nothing um, more uplifting than hearing about other people who are doing really well. (laughs) So to all of you thinking of quitting your Ah. jobs yesterday, hey, why not? Go for it. We got it wrong, didn't we? What? The whole tone of it. Yeah. Yeah. We really should have talked to a couple of people who have had a terrible start of the year. Yeah, so people could have felt better by comparison. I mean, not that that's explicitly what we would have been doing. You you had had it right when you were exploring the Moyes angle. Yeah, on the other hand, a football show devoted almost entirely to David Moyes coming up. Well, we've got Lewandowski as well. He's finally got his dream job. Yeah, but that's bad for Borussia Dortmund, so we can feel good because Dortmund feel bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound good? (laughs) (laughs) I hope my, my throat is somewhat sorted out for that show, but I doubt it because this has been rumbling on for a few days and I really do hope that it, I didn't sound no, too I think awful it, for you. I, I think it sounds sexy, Jan. Mm. Not sure about that. Particularly the bits where it gets really... Kind of phlegmy. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, let's, let's, just, a, let's, not, just, not let's just move on. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, uh, thanks, Kieran, and thanks, Owen. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for listening <laughs> to us. Okay, second yeah. Captains at the Irish Times. Have a listen out for Second Captains Football a little bit later on. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.